Modern Love, the podcast, is made possible with support from Living Proof. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everyone's hair is unique. Find your best hair at livingproof.com by taking a quiz to get your perfect mix of product. Use the code LOVE at livingproof.com for a free travel size dry shampoo with your $20 order. We are the science. You are the living proof. And by Squarespace, providing tools that help people showcase their passions with a customized landing page, website, or online store. Also offering domains, hosting, and 24-7 support. Get your free trial at squarespace.com slash modernlove. You should. Squarespace. From the New York Times and WBUR Boston, this is Modern Love. Stories of love, loss, and redemption. I'm Lisa Mullins, in for Meghna Chakrabarty. Sixteen years ago, Jennifer Finney Boylan came out as transgender. The family she created with her wife and two young sons inevitably evolved as well, but not in the way you might think. Jennifer Finney Boylan, the writer, academic, and activist, reads her own essay, Maddie Just Might Work After All. In the last year of my father's life, he started to sleepwalk. I was 27, back in my parents' house to help with his care. In the middle of the night, I'd hear his heavy footsteps coming up to the third floor, where I lived in a room locked with a deadbolt. He'd creep through the hallway and open the door to the spare room, diagonally across the hall from mine, and lie down in the guest bed. After a while, he'd start to snore, and I'd know he was okay, at least until morning, when he'd wake up, confused and angry. God damn it, he'd say. Where am I? What the hell am I doing here? He didn't know I was transsexual, or if he did, he never said anything about it. I doubt he even knew the word transsexual or transgender, and almost surely could not have explained the difference between the two. But that's okay. For a long time, I couldn't figure it all out either. Once, though, when I was in high school, my father was clicking through channels on the TV and came upon the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is the scene where Frankenfurter is waltzing around in fishnet stockings, singing, Well, you got caught with a flat. Well, how about that? My father raised an eyebrow and said, Well, there he is, Jim, your biggest fan. For a single terrified second, I feared that he knew exactly what was going on in my room when the door was locked. Was it possible, I wondered, that from the very beginning, my father had understood the thing that had lain in my heart, and which I had apparently so completely failed to conceal? Decades later, my two children and my wife and I were sitting around the kitchen table, eating dinner. I was mid-transition. My older son, Zach, gave me a look. What? I said. He was seven at the time. We can't keep calling you daddy, he said. If you're going to be a girl, it's too weird. The whole bait-and-switch, as I called it, was nearly over. 
It seemed like it had been going on for years, and in a sense it had, since the days of my father's sleepwalking, since I'd walked through the woods as a child in Pennsylvania, hoping I could be cured by love, praying to God to make me whole. In the end, the prayer was answered, although not in the way I'd expected. Because of the love of my spouse, Didi, not to mention that of my boys, I found the courage, somehow, to traverse the weird ocean between men and women, to make the voyage not only from one sex to another, but from a place where my life was defined by the secrets I kept, to a new one, where almost everything I'd ever held in my heart could finally be spoken out loud. Well, I said to my sons, my new name is Jenny. You could call me Jenny. Zach just laughed derisively. Jenny? That's the name you'd give a lady mule. I tried not to be hurt. Okay, fine. What do you want to call me? The important thing, boys, said Didi, is that you pick something you're comfortable with. Zach thought it over. He was pretty good at naming things. For a while, we'd had a hermit crab named Grabber. Later on, we owned a snake called Biter. I know, he said. Let's call you Maddie. That's like half mommy and half daddy. Anyway, I know a girl at school named Maddie. She's nice. His younger brother, Sean, said, Or Dommy. We all laughed. Even Sean laughed. Dommy. What a dumb name for a transgender parent. After the hilarity died down, I nodded. Hmm? Maddie might work, I said. Maddie might just work. By the time my boys were in middle school, our family began to seem pretty normal to us again. I woke everyone up in the morning, I made breakfast, I got Sean to practice his French horn, and Zach his three-quarter-sized tuba. Didi was in charge of dinner and shepherding the boys through their homework and coaching Sean's traveling soccer team. After a time, Didi and I even began to seem familiar to each other again, and the things that had changed in me seemed, incredibly, less important to Didi than what had remained the same. Was she crazy to stay with me after I'd announced my intention to transition? Maybe. Whenever the reason... She decided that her life was better with me in it than not. And if this makes her nuts, fine. Have it your way. She's nuts. Sweet, though. In the fall, we picked apples. In the winter, we skied. In summer, we fished on Long Pond. Most of the time, we forgot there was anything extraordinary about our family. And who knows? Maybe there's not. But even though we had now crossed that wide, strange ocean of gender together and come to rest at last, an unsettling question still haunted me, usually at night when I found myself awake in the wee hours. What kind of men would my boys become, having been raised by a father who became a woman? I'd hear the clock ticking as I lay in the dark, thinking about my own precarious boyhood with its secrets and its deadbolts, and I'd wonder how I was possibly going to help my sons become themselves. I'd even hear a voice in my heart demanding an answer to the same question my harshest critics had asked of me. What about the children? What about your boys?
And then it happened. Nearly two years ago, Zach came home from school one afternoon and told Dee Dee and me that he needed to talk to us about something serious. He said he'd reached two very important personal decisions. Dee Dee and I exchanged glances. We'd been expecting something like this ever since my transition began years before. And even though both of my boys had gotten this far without any apparent psychological trauma from having me as a parent, we'd never stopped worrying. Okay, said Zach as we gathered in the living room. His brother wanted no part of whatever this was about and headed downstairs to the Xbox. First off, I've decided... He looked down, and Dee Dee and I looked at each other uneasily. I've decided that I want to become... What? What did he want to become? I've decided I want to become... a pacifist. Dee Dee and I exchanged glances. Relieved. A pacifist, I said. Yes, I want to work for peace. There was a moment of silence. Then Dee Dee spoke. Well, good for you, Zach. We're proud of you. We'll go online, see if we can find, like, some peace marches we can all go to, if you want. Yeah, I said cautiously, but you said you'd made two decisions? What was the other one? Do you want to tell us about the other decision? Yeah, okay. This is the hard one. Blushing, he looked at me. Maddie, I really don't want to disappoint you. It's all right, son. I shot him a look, and I wondered briefly if my look was similar to the look my father had given me when we'd shared the glimpse of Frankenfurter dancing in his fishnets. All right, he said. I think I want to stop playing the tuba and to start playing the Irish fiddle. That's it, said Dee Dee. I went over and hugged him. It's okay, I said. You were great on tuba. I know you'll be great on fiddle. He heaved a sigh. Whew, he said. Boy, that was really hard. Zack knew how much I loved his tuba playing, and apparently he was afraid that if he made the big switch from tuba to fiddle, somehow I might love him less. Needless to say, I empathized. I knew what that kind of fear felt like, but what I did not know and would soon learn about was the depth of Zack's empathy for me. A month later, he had to write an essay for school about an experience that had changed him. This is what he wrote. An experience that changed me is that my dad is transgender and became my Maddie. A person who is transgender has a lifelong sense of being born into the wrong body. I was about four when Maddie began the transition. I don't really remember the experience well because it was over nine years ago. Once the transition had taken place, I was comfortable with it, but I was worried what my friends would think. I kept it secret for a little bit, but eventually they all found out. They accepted it a lot better than I thought they would. Maddie is funny and wise. We go fishing and biking. We talk a lot about anything that is on our minds. One night this spring, Maddie and I had a fancy dinner at a restaurant in Waterville. It was a special night. I wore a jacket and a tie. I had a steak. It made me feel like Maddie and I were really close. Maddie said that she thought I was growing up, 
and that she was proud of me. Sometimes it's true that I wish I had a regular father, but only because I don't remember what it was like to have a normal family. Sometimes it's hard to have a family that is different. But most of the time, I think I am the luckiest kid on earth. Even though my family is different, I can't think of any way that life could be better. What about the boys, I had wondered. What about my kids? From what I could see, the kids are all right. This podcast is supported by Carvana. Looking for a new set of wheels? Shop for your next car the convenient way. 100% online with Carvana. Whether you're shopping for a vehicle at your leisure or if you need to get on the road, Carvana makes it super easy and hassle-free to browse their massive inventory of cars. Whenever, wherever. Plus, Carvana has thousands of quality cars for under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for cars the convenient and affordable way. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look. Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Jennifer Finney Boylan reading her essay, Maddie Just Might Work After All. It's been seven years since Jenny wrote that essay. How's her family doing today? She'll tell us after the break. Support for Modern Love, the podcast, comes from Living Proof, the science behind healthy hair. I'm Katie from Living Proof, and we get love letters all the time, like this one. Dear Living Proof, I started using your products several years ago. My friends and family started complimenting me on my hair and asking what I'd done. Six of them now use Living Proof products. Love, Tamara. Use the code LOVE for a free, travel-sized dry shampoo with your $20 order livingproof.com. We're back. It's Modern Love, the podcast. I'm Lisa Mullins, in for Meghna Chakrabarty. Here's a postscript from Jennifer Finney Boylan. 
Well, that piece ran in 2009, and so here we are seven years later, and those little boys are now college students. My wife and I are still together. This year, we'll celebrate our 28th year of marriage. We've been together for 12 as husband and wife and 15 years, going on 16 years now as wife and wife. And so our family is fantastic. When I came out as trans, I remember one of the last people and one of the hardest people I came out to was my mother. And I finally came out to her and I started to cry. And she put her arms around me. And she was 85 years old, an evangelical Christian, a conservative person, a Republican. She got out of, out of her chair and she put her arms around me and she said, I will never turn my back on my child. And I said, yeah, but... You know, when everyone finds out I'm your daughter now, won't that be an embarrassment? And she said, well, quite frankly, yes. But I will adjust. And then she literally wiped the tears off of my cheeks and said, love will prevail. So here I am, a transgender woman, lesbian, married to a straight cisgender woman and our marriage is, is a traditional monogamous marriage it's not an open relationship in some ways we couldn't be more traditional when I'm home we sit around the fireplace around 5 o'clock 5.15 we'll have a glass of wine we'll talk about the follies of the day then we'll have a big dinner and then we get into bed with some books and then we read them you know, I can understand why people think we're so far out of the mainstream with a life that crazy. Jenny can joke about it, but it can be tough to tune out people's concerns and opinions, especially when it comes to her children. From the time I first came out, even people who said they were going to support me, they would kind of, you know, shake their heads sadly and say, well, you know who I feel sorry is those children, those poor boys. And... You know, it, to me, it felt like a kind of secretly or maybe not so secretly aggressive way of blaming me for something that was, in fact, not my fault. And it made me mad because it was as if people were saying, you cannot be trance and be a good mother. You should be ashamed of yourself. One of the reasons that our family thrived is because we all pledged to stand by one another. My wife stood by me. We both stood by the children, and the children stood by their parents. I do know this, that having a father that became a woman helped to make my sons into better men. It has made them more compassionate. It has made them more open-hearted. It has made them more not just tolerant, but embracing of diversity in its many forms. And I couldn't be more grateful. Jenny's mom once told her, it's impossible to hate anyone whose story you know. So storytelling is key to her work as an advocate for transgender people and their families, especially as she dips her toe into reality TV, specifically the e-network documentary series, I Am Kate. The show follows Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as the athlete Bruce Jenner, through her transition from male to female. 
Originally, I wasn't supposed to be on that show. I was supposed to be uh, a consultant to try to help them get the stories right. But um, I guess there was one day I went, I went to, to talk to her, and we had dinner together, and they filmed it. And the next thing that I knew, I was on the show. And what's interesting about it is that in some ways, I think it's the most radical, subversive show on television. You would never hear transgender women speaking in their own voices, talking about discourse, talking about family, talking about identity and dating and everything in between. You would never hear that conversation anywhere else on television. There are a lot of people who don't experience what I experienced. There are a lot of people who, when they come out as transgender, lose their children, whose wives and husbands leave them, who are thrown out of their houses, who lose their jobs, and who wind up homeless and unemployed. And it could have all come out very differently for me. And I'm aware of that all the time. But you know what? Everyone deserves to live their lives in peace and with love. And, I mean, my story should be the rule and not the exception. Jennifer Finney Boylan, author and reader of this week's essay. She's a professor of English and writer-in-residence at Barnard College. She's written 13 books, including the best-selling memoir, She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders. Jenny's next book is a novel, Long Black Veil. It's going to be released next spring. And now, a word on this week's piece from modern love editor Daniel Jones. Jenny Boylan's piece was published in the column about five years from when the column started. And I don't remember receiving a single essay from the point of view of a transgender writer. And to tell you the truth, Jenny Boylan's piece didn't come in that way either. I went out looking for it. It was about to be published in an anthology. And I contacted her and said, I would love to run this piece in in Modern Love. What her piece does so well is it normalizes an experience that it's so easy for people to think of as being so abnormal. And Jenny just does a great job of taking a reader of any background and and saying, like, we're people with families, um, we're people with kids, and you just think, like, this is such a loving family, they're all going to be all right. That's Dan Jones, editor of Modern Love for The New York Times. If you haven't already, check out Dan's anthology of the best essays from the early years of the column. It's called Modern Love, 50 True and Extraordinary Tales of Desire, Deceit, and Devotion. Next week on Modern Love, Connie Britton, who's known for her work on NBC's Friday Night Lights and ABC's Nashville, She tells the story of a mother's heart-wrenching decision after an adoption doesn't go as planned. In cases like these, we can make a rematch with another baby, the one in charge said. I pictured myself boarding the plane with some faceless replacement child and then explaining to friends and family that we had left Natalie in China because she was too damaged. How could I face myself? I would always wonder what happened to Natalie. Modern Love is a production of the New York Times and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. It's produced, directed, and edited by Jessica Alpert, John Parati, and Amory Sievertson. 
The idea for the Modern Love podcast was conceived by Lisa Tobin. Iris Adler is the executive producer. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for The New York Times and advisor to the show. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. I'm Lisa Mullins, in for Meghna Chakrabarty. See you next week.